Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Good morning, everybody. Take me a minute to get organized here. Yes, we do have uh, some handouts. We're going to be... uh, As you probably heard, beginning a series on spiritual gifts, so you're receiving some notes. Um, What we're going to end up with, God willing, at the end is a syllabus of about 36 pages called Understanding Spiritual Gifts. Now, it's not because I don't trust you, but... um, I'm not even going to finish that sentence. Uh, (laughs) uh, I'm going to give you a, a few pages at a time on each Sunday that we cover it. Uh, if you will collect all the pages over the Sundays, whatever it takes us, three or four or five Sundays to do this, um, you'll end up at the end with pages 1 through 36, and you can put them together. I would bring them all to you at once, but there's the slight possibility that you would forget them at home next Sunday. Not that anybody in this room would do that, but uh, anyhow. Uh, so I'm going to give you, I think, pages 1 through 5 today is what you'll have. And then there's another brochure. I'll just call it that, a brochure, uh, on spiritual gifts. This is a professionally printed, um, produced brochure. Maybe some of you have heard of Rose Publishing. They put out a lot of good materials, uh, uh, audiovisual materials, that kind of thing. And this will give you a good overview of spiritual gifts. Just give you the basic overview um, concerning spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit and how he's at work in those things. So, uh, and, and that folds out, as you'll see. And But uh, if you would please read that some other time than today, okay? But please read it. It will be very good and foundational for you to introduce that. So we're really introducing the topic today, but what I want to do first is pray, okay? Let's do that. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for this study, a very important study. And we just pray that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit, the one who worked in our hearts and lives to draw us to yourself, the one who convicted us of sin, the one who opened our blinded eyes to see the truth of the gospel, uh, the one who came to dwell within each believer, and the one who imparted those spiritual gifts to each believer. So guide us by the Spirit. May he energize the messenger, the message. May he illuminate our minds as we study the word of God together. And as he does, we will give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Mike, we're going to be short on the outline, especially if we get people coming in. Okay. So maybe we can share for family. Okay, sure, sure. Okay, we're talking the paper copies. Yeah, I think we brought about 30. So uh, if you could, yeah, one per family or couple or however you want to divide that up. And then I'll try and bring more next time. Um, So, okay, good. Okay, well, let's get into this. Um, I'm really excited about the topic, not only because... Of, of its extreme importance, but also because I know how life-changing it can be. This can change the life of an individual believer and the life of a local church or local assembly. And as we get into this, I want you to think about a beautiful outdoor scene. 
just seeing if we, uh, we've got our PowerPoint working. A beautiful outdoor scene, and what I want you to think about is a huge, high, snow-capped mountain. By the way, our good friends Bill and Norma Price that are with us visiting this week um, are from Loveland, Colorado. And we've been out there to visit them in the past, and they live in those beautiful, uh, near those beautiful Rocky Mountains out there. So picture that kind of outdoor scene. And at first, high up on this mountain, uh, small streams flow, streams of pure, refreshing, life-giving water. And as you come down the mountain and the air gets uh, warmer, there are beautiful waterfalls, especially as the temperature rises and the snow melts. There are beautiful pools of water, uh, crystal clear, providing, supplying, life-sustaining water for wildlife. Uh, and then at certain places on the mountain, you, you have those not only beautiful pools, but uh, the, the streams continue down and they supply not only the wildlife on the mountain, but they supply people with uh, water in the valley below. And because of that, there is a, because there's a constant flow of water from above with the rain and the snow uh, and all of that, uh, there's a constant flow of water below. It continues below uh, to to supply that water to others. And as the water makes its way down the mountain, and we've all seen this, um, it's one of the fun things you can see when you're hiking in the Rockies or, or in some other mountain. Uh, but as it makes its way down the mountain to the valley, it, it kind of splits off into all directions. And various streams and tributaries are formed, supplying water to more and more people to an even greater land area. And when I think about that kind of scene, I think of places like Israel. And I think of Mount Hermon. How many have been to Israel and seen Mount Hermon? Few of you have. And it's beautiful to see that. I think of the Rockies in Colorado. I think of the Sierra Range in in, uh, California on the West Coast. And what it reminds me of is the grace of God. The grace of God that redeems and refreshes undeserving Sinners, it also reminds me of what the scripture calls the water of life. And we know, don't we? We can't live without water. You can go 30, 40 days or more without food, but you can't go much more than three or four days without water and and survive. Um, So it reminds me of the water of life as it's described in scripture, of which there's an unending supply. And like that mountain Uh, stream, the grace of God never ends. You've got the melting snow and the rain and the springs from from under the ground. And this mountain stream continues to be fresh and alive because of that fresh supply of water. It is fresh and alive because it is inflow that generates outflow. I think we understand that principle. Inflow that generates outflow. It's that continuous supply that feeds the other streams and the tributaries, illustrating that dynamic principle of giving and receiving. And that's what I'm working up to here, is that very important principle of giving and receiving. And applying that spiritually, we would say this, those who receive God's love and grace are to be those who give God's love and grace. Amen? Is that not true? God expects that. That's how it works. That's how he has designed it. Uh, And simply put, we are to be channels of God's blessing to others. Channels of God's blessing to others. And we can call this the principle 
of reciprocity. Reciprocity. Don't try and say it 20 times real fast or even five times. The principle of reciprocity. When we receive, we give. If you've received God's grace and love, then give God's grace and love. If you have received uh, his mercy, his grace, all of those wonderful things, then he expects us to be channels of blessing and to give those things. So the principle of reciprocity says that where there is inflow, there should be what? Outflow. Where there's inflow, there should be outflow. And as I said, when I think of this mountain, I sometimes think of Mount Hermon in the north of Israel. 9,200 feet above the Mediterranean Sea, it stands. And across its southern slopes flow uh, the water that eventually feed in the waters that eventually feed into the Jordan River, which runs south through uh, Israel, providing much needed water to Lake Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, the valley below, uh, and flowing southward toward Jericho. All along the way, that life-giving water uh, provides water and and what is needed for people in Israel in one way or another. But then at a certain place, it is literally, it literally stops. In a certain place, it stops having descended from the heights of Hermon. It stops, it stagnates, and it dies. In what? The Dead Sea, right? The Dead Sea. Uh, the lowest point on earth, 1,300 feet below sea level, And you see, even though that wonderful life-giving water flows into it, the Dead Sea lets none of it out. And if you've ever been there to see it, you know exactly how how it works. Um, It's stale, it's stagnant, it's the depository for all kinds of minerals and chemicals and salt and sulfur uh, because... There's no outlet. The heat of Israel evaporates the water and all the stuff in the water just settles right there, um, or at least most of it. And actually, it is so bad that neither plant nor animal life can live in the Dead Sea, thus its name. You say, well, what does all that have to do with spiritual gifts? Well, as recipients of God's grace, we all have received what the Bible calls charismata, or grace gifts. And God expects that where there is inflow, again, there will be outflow in terms of our lives. And he expects uh, that. And so the question is, when it comes to our spiritual gifts and their use, are we like the Jordan River that flows uh, from above and gives and gives and gives all along the way? Or are we more like the Dead Sea, stagnant and stale uh, and stopped up in one spot? Uh, A lady by the name of Lula Klingman Zahn has written uh, a song called There is a Sea, and these are the words. There is a sea which day by day receives the rippling rills and streams that spring from wells of God or fall from cedared hills. But what it thus receives, it gives with glad, unsparing hand. A stream more wide with deeper tide flows on to lower land. There is a sea which day by day receives a fuller tide, 
But all its store it keeps, nor gives, to shore, nor sea beside. Its Jordan stream, now turned to brine, lies heavy as molten lead. Its dreadful name doth e'er proclaim, that sea is waste and dead. Which shall it be for you and me, who God's good gifts obtain? Shall we accept for self alone, or take to give again? For he who once was rich indeed laid all his glory down, that by his grace, our ransomed race, should share his wealth and crown. I think that says a lot to us. Uh, I don't know where you're at in terms of your Christian life and the use of your spiritual gifts, the knowledge of your spiritual gifts, the stewardship of your spiritual gifts. Um, But the title of our study today is Understanding Spiritual Gifts Shaped and Gifted to Make a Difference. And that's really the goal of of this this study. Um, We want to understand the spiritual gifts. We want to understand that God has shaped us. He has gifted us. He has created us the way he has chosen because he wants us to make a difference. And it's my prayer that as we study the word of God together, we will not only understand what it says about spiritual gifts, but also that we would learn uh, how to know what our gifts are and how to put those gifts that belong to us as individuals to use, and then learn how to put them into practice in a very practical, everyday uh, kind of way as members of the body of Christ. That is, we want to make sure that where there is inflow, there is outflow, right? We want to make sure of that. Um, Life-giving outflow. We want to make sure that the grace of God and the water of life continue to flow, providing that supernatural refreshment that really so many people in this world need. Uh, They not only need the gospel, and they need that from us, we are to be Christ's witnesses, but the church, the body of Christ, needs us in terms of our gifts to minister to that that body. So that's kind of where we're headed. Um, As we seek to understand spiritual gifts, we're going to Uh, try to ask and answer a number of questions. We'll just go down the list really quickly. What are, they are these, what are spiritual gifts? Why are they important? What is their purpose? How many gifts are there? Do all people have spiritual gifts? How can I discover my spiritual gifts? What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how does it relate to spiritual gifts. And by the way, we will also, God willing, be talking about uh, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit on our in our Wednesday night studies. And I thought that would um, certainly go right along with uh, this study on spiritual gifts and help us to understand it even better. Um, do the same gifts that existed in the early church 2,000 years ago exist today? If not, why not? Uh, can spiritual gifts be counterfeited? If so, how can one discern the real from the fake or the false? Do the spirit, do spiritual gifts differ from natural talents? And if so, how? Do spiritual gifts differ from the fruit of the Spirit? And those are just some of the questions that we will ask and uh, hopefully answer biblically as we go along 
in the study. Um, and as we do that, we want to look at about 25, hold on to your seats, 25 principles uh, having to do, 25 principles or truths that the Bible presents with regard to spiritual gifts. We're not going to obviously even get a huge start on them today, although we will get a little bit of a start. And uh, it may sound like a lot, but I think when we're done, we'll get a good overview um, and hopefully cover some of the details all about spiritual spiritual gifts. Okay? All right. I think that ends my little intro in terms of the time. So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, uh, we're looking ahead to this study. We just introduced it today. But Lord, help us to remember that principle of reciprocity, that it's to be reciprocal, that where you have placed things within us, in our lives, um, we are to allow those things to flow out and to be a blessing to other people. Help us to truly be channels of blessing to your people, to your church, and even to those of this world who need the gospel, who need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And we're looking ahead, Lord, to your blessing and your help with this study. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Brother Mike Dixon, please. Anybody else? I have Excuse two. Me. Excuse two me. left. I have one left. All right. They're gone. All right, Lanny was taking, you took care of these, right? What we could so far. Good, okay, thank you. And, yeah, good. And there are still some of these introductory pamphlets left. Okay, introductory pamphlets, are still some of those left on the table here. If you could try, you know, one per couple, one per family, but you're welcome to get one if, if you need one. So, um they're on the table up front here. And we will jump back into things. We kind of introduce things. And I appreciate that extra time uh, because I tend to have long introductions in my messages. So, um, and long messages and long conclusions too. But, uh, <laughs> so anyhow. Um, but you knew that already. You've had me here a number of times before. So we'll just jump back into it. We kind of ended where we, we started asking some questions about spiritual gifts. And uh, we want to answer that, that list, uh, answer those questions on that list. And I'm not going to repeat those because they are on your handout. Um, but we want to really jump right into the study uh, and begin with one of these 25 principles or lessons that we want to look at. And we want to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, now, you will find, if you're not accustomed to my teaching and preaching, that I do use a lot of Scripture because I believe that everything we say and do in terms of our faith, our practice, our salvation, etc., is based on the Word of God. Amen? Amen. I know you believe that here, too. So, uh, so we will use a lot of Scripture. And we'll start with 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, and we want to read verses 1 through 11. 
1 through 11, just to get a foundation laid here. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11, concerning spiritual gifts, and that's how the chapter starts. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute or dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. And we will stop at that point. Um, And I'm going to ask for the Lord's help again. Father, we do pause and ask for your help as we study, as we learn more about these spiritual gifts. Help us, Father, by your Spirit who um, who has given them to us and who who enables us. We will give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, the very first principle we want to talk about when it comes to spiritual gifts is their importance. Their importance. Spiritual gifts are vitally important. I say vitally important to the life and health and well-being of the church of Jesus Christ. That's not just my opinion. That's what the Word of God clearly says and clearly teaches. Paul says in verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware, or the King James would say ignorant. And literally, the verse says, in terms of spiritual gifts, Now concerning spirituals, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. The the term gifts is supplied, it's not in the original, uh, but it has been supplied by the translators, And certainly Paul is alluding to spiritual gifts and referring to them when he says spirituals because the gifts come up in verse 4 and following. But he primarily is referring right here to spiritual manifestations, both good and bad. And as the Corinthians would assemble for worship and and teaching and fellowship and as they would exercise their spiritual gifts, the things of the spirit world would manifest themselves. Both the Holy Spirit... And not-so-holy spirits got involved, unfortunately. Um, In fact, evil spirits. We know that from what Paul says in verses 2 and 3 when he says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore... I, excuse me, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) 
One of the problems that these immature Corinthians had, uh, besides their obvious divisions, was a lack of discernment between the manifestation of evil spirits and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Um, they had been raised in paganism, pagan religions, and so demonic spirits and idol worship were all part of their culture and their background, especially their lives prior to knowing Christ. And so Paul is in essence saying now concerning spirituals or spiritual manifestations, both good and bad, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. I don't want you to be ignorant about what's going on. And evidently in their assembly, people would get up and exercise their gifts. And you know, in every, I I trust that you know, in every assembly, local assembly, in every local church, um, there is most likely one or more unsaved people in that assembly. Um, Maybe they are professors, maybe they aren't truly believers, um, but evidently that was true in this assembly. And some person would get up and say, Jesus is accursed. And that was a problem. So Paul wants them to be able to discern between God's spirit and evil spirits and how the Holy Spirit gives and distributes the gifts and how he operates and manifests himself through spiritual gifts. And that's the one reason why spiritual gifts are so very important. Paul knew that an adequate knowledge of the gifts was necessary for the spiritual health of the body of Christ in order for uh, that to be true. But to whom are they important? To whom are spiritual gifts important? Well, they're important to at least three specific entities. One, to the individual believer. Two, to the church, uh, corporately, the body of Christ. And three, to the world. And I mean even the unsaved world. So they're important to the church, to the world, excuse me, to the individual believer, to the church, and to the world. We'll get, get it right there. The question is how and why. How and why are the spiritual gifts important to those three entities? Well, Lord willing, we're going to answer that in this study as we, as we continue on. And, um, but let me explain it this way. We know that God's desire is to reach the whole world with the good news of his son, Jesus Christ, right? The Great Commission, the gospel, we understand that. Uh, Including reaching them with the good news about his person, his redemption, the plan of salvation. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was God's chosen vehicle to reach the world with his truth. In the first century, The Lord Jesus himself and his apostles were God's chosen instruments to reach the world. But now that Jesus has ascended to heaven, God uses the church, the body of Christ, you and I, those of us who are saved, who are born again, who are part of that body. He uses the church, the disciples of Christ, as his chosen instruments to reach the world, to communicate to the world who Christ is what he is like, what he came to do. Um, When Jesus was here on earth 2,000 years ago, people could see who God was and what he was like. And we kind of alluded, I alluded to that a little bit in in our breaking of bread time when we talk about John 1 and uh, John 1.14. 
But we know that you could look at the Lord Jesus and see what God was like. The word who is God became flesh and dwelled among us. Paul says in Colossians 2, 9, that he is, that all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells in him. He was God in human flesh. He was the representation. He was the picture of God in human flesh. And he dwelled among us and we beheld his glory as we saw glory as of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth to, to see grace, to see God's grace, to see God's truth and to see the nature of God back then. All you had to do is look at the Lord Jesus Christ. He was what we might call, and this is just for illustration's sake, body one. You're not going to find this term in the scripture, but body one. Okay. Um, God in the flesh, he had a physical body that was body one. But now how do people see that grace and that truth and the nature of God? They must look at body two, who or what is body two? It's you and I, the body of Christ. That's body two. And we are to present the glory of God, the attributes of God and reflect those to a lost world. That's body two. And uh, why is that true? Why, why are we to do that? Well, body one isn't here anymore, folks, right? Where did he go? He ascended into heaven. Body one isn't here on earth anymore. We are it by God's choice and by God's design. So what is supposed to happen is when the world sees body two, they are to see a clear, accurate composite picture of who God is and what he is like. And that's when the the world sees body too, they see that clear representation uh, of Christ himself. And one of the key things that makes that possible is the fact that the Holy Spirit has especially empowered and enabled you and I as members of body two to carry out some very important functions. And he's enabled us to do that by giving us spiritual gifts. That's the purpose of the spiritual gifts to carry out functions like teaching and exhorting, encouraging, admonishing, serving, communicating the knowledge and wisdom of God, giving, leading, and more. These kinds of functions plus others take place are to take place in the body, and as that does, the body grows stronger, and then there is an accurate picture of God presented to the world. As the body of Christ grows healthy, grows stronger, then you've got an accurate picture of, of Christ and of God presented to the world, who God is and what God is like. And when these functions do not take place, well, that unfortunately does not happen then those things don't happen, at least to the degree that the Lord would like. When these functions do not take place, then there is weakness in the body. There's not a good, clear picture of who God is and what he is like. In fact, have you ever, um, what, what you really have presented to the world then is a weak, distorted, inaccurate picture and, uh, think of this. Have you ever been watching TV, especially if you have cable TV or you know, and so much of television now is fed by the, the, the uh, um, digital signals 
uh, and com- it's all computerized, etc. But have you ever been watching a TV broadcast when all of a sudden the picture goes into a distorted pattern of these funny looking colored squares, right? Have you seen that before? Even if it's just for a moment or a, a minute or, or a, you know, it really gets you upset if it goes that way for an hour, I suppose, but in your favorite program, uh, a distorted pattern. And uh, maybe you can make out the image, maybe you can't. Uh, The reason for that is because somehow, somewhere along the line, the digital signal has become distorted and divided or corrupted. In other words, those digital signals, those digital signals are not in proper relation to one another. And that problem will remain until at least such time as someone adjusts the signal or the computer or fixes it in some technical way um, and makes the corrections. God's plan for us as members of the body of Christ is that we not be distorted or divided in our relationships with one another. And if we do have problems that way, then we present a distorted, inaccurate, unclear picture to the world of who God is and of who Christ is we will then have an ineffective testimony for Christ. But the question is then, how does one attain to that unity, that effectiveness, that clear picture that God does want? How do we get that? It is attained by having each member of the body of Christ do, some, do a few things. Number one, walk in the power and will of the Holy Spirit. We are told to walk by the Spirit and we won't. Fulfill the lusts of the flesh, right? We are told in Ephesians 5 to be being, literal translation, be being kept filled with the Spirit. We are to be walking and living in accord with the power and the will, again, of the Holy Spirit. It is attained by having each member of the body exercise his or her particular giftedness, unique giftedness is given by the Holy Spirit. And again, that's part of the yielding to the Holy Spirit. And just as with a a physical body, when all the parts and all the organs and all the systems are functioning properly uh, and in sync with each other, then that body can function effectively, right? We call that being healthy. It's when it's when we get a flu bug, <laughs> you know, maybe 90% of us know what that's like this year already. But when we get a flu bug or we have an injury, uh, something's gone haywire in this physical body, even in a very small part, that's when it cannot function properly. And we, we can't function effectively. The body cannot operate effectively. When that happens, the individual members, when it, when it, let me back up, when it happens properly, when we are in proper relationship with one another and with God the Holy Spirit and we're walking in his power, then we can function as the body of Christ effectively. Um, we can grow and mature and benefit spiritually. The body of Christ as a whole grows and matures and benefits spiritually. And that enables body too to be effective, to build up, one another, to strengthen itself, and to walk through this world as a whole unit, in unity, presenting an accurate picture of God to the world. And that brings glory to the Lord. 
So that's really what, in a very simple way, um, why spiritual gifts are so important. Now, I'm going to ask, by the way, I didn't ask permission of the elders, but I, I think they'll, I know them well enough. Hopefully they won't mind. I'm going to ask for some volunteers, some of the brothers to read a few of the verses we put on the screen. So if you've got a good, strong reading voice and you don't mind reading uh, some of these, that will help save my voice a little bit. Um, uh, Ephesians 4, 7 and 8. Would someone read that from the screen, please? Anybody? But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And then 11 through 16. Keep reading, would you, Billy, please? If that's something. He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, as we continue in that passage, it also talks about, and, and this is a very important part of understanding spiritual gifts, Understanding the proper working of each individual part, right? Uh, that's what those gifts and gifted men, that's why they were given to the church. And while Satan would like the church to be divided and the members of body too crippled and dysfunctional and not working properly, Christ the head on the other hand wants the members of body too to carry out those functions in his body, in a unified, coordinated, and, and powerful way. And Lord willing, we hope to realize that in our lives as we go through this study and seek to understand spiritual gifts even better. Um, that will enable us to do that. So yes, spiritual gifts are vitally, vitally important. In fact, they're absolutely crucial to the health and the well-being of the body of Christ and its effectiveness. But a second principle concerning spiritual gifts um, give, that are given of God, by God, the Holy Spirit, to believers, um, is this, their source, their source. Spiritual great grace gifts, and this is in your outline, I think, are given by God, the Holy Spirit, to believers when they are born again and baptized or immersed into the body of Christ. And I'm going to ask somebody else to read 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians 12, 4 and 7 and 11 to 13. They'll be on the screen. Now, that was your signal. <laughs> Go ahead, Bill. Andy. Oh, Andy, I'm sorry. I thought it was Bill. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. 
The same Holy Spirit, also referred to in Romans 8, 9 as the Spirit of Christ, that same Holy Spirit, you know what he does. He's the one who convicts uh, the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's the one who not only convicts of sin, but he draws the sinner uh, to himself. He regenerates the believing sinner. He causes him to be born again. He makes him alive in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the same one who immerses or places into, baptizes the believer spiritually into the body of Christ. He comes to permanently dwell in the believer, and he's the one who imparts spiritual gifts. He's the source. He imparts spiritual gifts, abilities, and capacities by which to function in the body to serve other people in the body, to serve the needs of body too. And we might look at it uh, this way. The moment you're born into this world, you receive certain natural abilities. Innate. They're there when you're when you're born and, and day one. Uh, certain natural abilities or talents, whether they are, whether it's art, languages, math, uh, mechanical abilities, sports, whatever it might be, God, your creator, God, our creator, has given those to each of us when we are born. And we all have abilities we may not even know we have some of those, those innate talents. But similarly, when we are born again spiritually, born again of the Spirit of God in terms of your salvation, the Bible says in verse 13 there, we, we were all made to drink of one spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And when that spiritual birth took place, and you were born into the family and the kingdom of God, you were endowed with certain spiritual abilities, certain spiritual capacities endowed by the Holy Spirit given to you at that point in time. These are gifts and abilities, as I understand the scripture, that you did not have prior to your salvation. You didn't have them prior to your salvation. We could, by way of analogy, refer to these as spiritual talents, just to use that term loosely, uh, comparing them to natural or physical talents. But we want to be very careful and be sure to say and make a distinction that there is a great difference between spiritual gifts and natural talents. Okay, We, we don't always recognize that. Uh, for example, you may have a natural talent in the area of, of a music or gardening or cooking or mechanics, whatever it might be, but those are not spiritual gifts. Uh, the thing to keep in mind is that both saved and unsaved people have various talents, right? Various physical, natural talents. Uh, spiritual gifts are God-given spiritual abilities that are only given to those who are born again, born again Christians, only given by the Holy Spirit via the grace of God, given by those to those who are indwelt by the Spirit of God, and they are effective only when they are exercised by one who is yielded to the Spirit of God. Because again, they are spiritual abilities. Um, it's very important to understand that. Uh, your... I, I may I may be ahead of myself, but I'm going to say it here anyhow at this point. Um, your ability to become a world champion tiddlywinks player is uh, 
is not a spiritual gift, okay? It's just not. Uh, it might be a natural talent you have, and if you have that, go for it, you know. Um, but there's a great difference between those kind of talents, um, the, the kind of talent that might be demonstrated this evening in terms of the football game, uh, is not a spiritual gift, okay? Although there might be some Christian players who are born again who have spiritual gifts, but, but throwing the ball down the field is not one of them, okay? So I, I think, I trust we'll understand that. It's very important. I know it's a basic principle to us, um, but it's very important that we understand that. And I'm trying to remember our time frame. Am I about done time-wise? I got five, ooh, five more minutes. Okay, good. Let's cover one more point then. All right, they're counterfeiting. I'm still getting used to your schedule, okay? Uh, they're counterfeiting. Spiritual gifts can be counterfeited. I think we understand that. We, we know that. I trust you believe that. Um, what is a counterfeit? A counterfeit is an imitation of the real thing, obviously. An imitation of the real thing that deceptively is put forth as the real thing. No one wants to receive a counterfeit $100 bill, right? $100 bill would be nice, but you don't want a counterfeit one, especially if somebody notices it and, and you're caught with it. Uh, you don't want that at all. Uh, it, a counterfeit $100 bill is worth absolutely nothing. And of course, Satan is the master counterfeiter. And he has, does, and will counterfeit that which God wants to use to accomplish his purposes. And of course, uh, that which he wants to use to bring glory to his name. Obviously, people do not, um, they do not counterfeit what is not valuable. They do not counterfeit what is not valuable. Um, when's the last time you came across or heard about counterfeit monopoly money? Yeah, that, that would be silly. Um, that, that doesn't have, or counterfeit pennies. These guys were arrested for counterfeiting pennies. That would be silly too. You know, Satan counterfeits that which is valuable considered valuable by either God's people or by God himself. Uh, whether it be the gift of tongues or the gift of teaching or prophecy or whatever the gift is, if Satan can bring about confusion or uh, abuse and misuse of the Spirit's gifts, then he can disrupt the proper uh, working and unity of the body of Christ and therefore, again, mess up the image of God that is being presented to the world. Um, and that in turn undermines, it corrupts the worship and the work of Christ's body, body too. Spiritual gifts, if we put it very simply, spiritual gifts are all about keeping body too healthy, right? And, and giving that accurate represent, representation uh, of Christ. Um, See how much time we have left here, just to mention this. Let me mention this real quick. And that is, um, the fact that we know that spiritual gifts can be counterfeited in a number of different ways and for a number of different reasons. I just want to give you a few quickly why they maybe would be counterfeited and why and how and in what kind of situations, and it really goes back to the Corinthians themselves. Um, one, it's possible if there is spiritism and or occultism in a Christian's background. 
uh, and this was true of the Corinthians uh, prior to their salvation. Uh, Corinth was a hotbed, as I mentioned before, a headquarters for many pagan, what they called mystery religions. And these were energized by demonic forces. They were characterized by wild, ecstatic, sensual experiences. In fact, ecstasy, physical ecstasy, emotional ecstasy was considered to be the highest expression of religious experience. And it was considered to be a supernatural, sensual communion with the deity. That's the kind of thing the Corinthians grew up with. So then to, for Satan to counterfeit the gifts, to give them some sort of emotional, ecstatic experience was very familiar to them, if, if that could happen, and sometimes it did. And that's why sexual immorality is often accompanied by, uh, or it often accompanied the rituals of these pagan religions. And the problem was that because the Holy Spirit had brought about so many miracles in the early days of the church and the apostles, some of the Corinthian Christians confused those true wonders with false wonders, the false wonders of their past religious uh, or religion and religious experience. And these so-called mystery religions, they were also known for their supernaturally produced frenzied hypnotic chance where you were just out of control, you, emotionally and, and physically and mentally out of control. Um, that, that would happen. That's why someone could get up in the assembly in the midst of a, if you can imagine, a, a worship time, a fellowship time, and say, Jesus is accursed. Jesus be damned, condemned to hell. That, that sounds terrible to us. Hurts my ears even to say it. But that would happen because they would be so out of control, other spirits would be getting involved, getting involved with what was going on in their assembly. Uh, so that is, again, why we need to understand these gifts. Um, I can't imagine that. Uh, let, let me give you just one quote, and I think we'll wrap it up here for today. Uh, one writer explained the Corinthian situation this way, quote, one of the chief evidences of the spiritual immaturity of the Corinthian Christians was a lack of discernment. If an occult practice seemed to have supernatural effect, they assumed it was of God. If a priest or soothsayer performed a miracle, they assumed it was by God's power. Like many Christians today, they believed that if something works, it must be right and good. Some of the believers, however, realized that the confusion, division, and immoral practices that characterized many of the church members could not be of God. They asked Paul to tell them how to determine what was of the Holy Spirit and what was of some other spirit. And then a reference is given in 1 John 4.1. So false manifestations of the Spirit was one way that Satan attacked, one way that he would counterfeit uh, and, and attack the Corinthian assembly by dividing those believers through selfish, um, the selfish, prideful use of their gifts. 
I think we're going to stop at that point. Let me just um, let me close with let me see where I'm at here. Again, I'm getting again I'm getting used to your schedule. I think it would be better if I just stopped right here. Okay, let's do that. All right. Uh, before we leave, quickly, question, and then we'll, I'll, I'll close in prayer. But does anybody have a quick question? Yes, Brother Don. Do you agree, uh, Mike, that, that giving prophets and the teachers are themselves the gifts to the church? Those men were the gifts. Gifted men, yes. Okay. Yes, right. Those men were the gifts to the church. That's right. That's Ephesians 4. Yeah. Yeah, um, now there are some who have the, yeah, there's a distinction between a, the gift of teaching and the gift of a teacher, a pastor-teacher, you know, obviously a pastor, t- and uh, whether a pastor-teacher or a teacher is most likely going to have the gift of teaching, but there is that distinction. Those were gifted men given to the church to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, right? Um yeah, there's a whole other list, and we'll, we'll cover those in the study, of the specific gifts or areas of giftedness. Yeah, so, okay. All right? All right, let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for helping us get uh, get started on this. And, uh, Lord, we know that you'll, you'll help us uh, smooth it out as we, as we really get into it and get into the flow of the study. Uh, Lord, we are trusting your spirit to work and to teach us many good things, and to build up even this local body, we trust, as people would better understand not only spiritual gifts in general, but better understand their own uh, gifts and giftedness. And then, uh, as they yield to the Spirit, exercise those gifts and build up the body and, and see it grow stronger and healthier and uh, more effective in, in doing the job that you want this local body to do. We will give you the praise, Lord, as you work in and through these messages and in and through us. And we will praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much.